0: Hi, I'm Mike Stutchbury and welcome to Bad Britannia. I look at 40,000 years of awful, awful British history. Gentlemen. Cock your pistols. Gentlemen, aim your pistols one, two, three. <laughs> That was a short clip from the 1975 film Barry Lydon by Stanley Kubrick. It was, of course, a duel, and that is the topic of this week's podcast. We're going to be looking at the noble British tradition of two blokes standing in a field trying to murder each other with either swords or pistols. Since people have lived in Britain, men have engaged in violent disagreement with one another over land, over women, and perhaps most significantly of all, over their pride. It is all but certain that men had set means of violently settling their differences in Britain for at least thousands of years. It is only relatively late in the game, however, that we have our first glimpse of a set of rules. We know that the Norse, who invaded and settled areas of Central and Northern Britain in the 8th and 9th centuries, engaged in a practice known as the Holm Gang. A Holm Gang was initiated by a man issuing a ritual challenge to another. This would be followed about a week later... By the main event itself. Come the big day, the two aggrieved parties would retire somewhere away from their community to a place that was, traditionally, marked out by a stretched cowhide. Think of it as an early wrestling or boxing ring. After oaths were sworn, the combatants would lay into one another with swords or axes until one was dead or irreversibly mutilated. Should either party not turn up, they could either be forever tainted as the offending party, or worse, declared an outlaw. As being an outlaw meant that you were out of favour with the gods, and also had a considerable bounty placed on your head, there was a lot of motivation for you to turn up to a gang when called out. Even the most cowardly Viking would probably have paused for thought before legging it. Once the Normans rocked up in 1066, jewels became a legal mechanism, but not for everyone. If you were one of those allowed to wield a weapon, you could ask for a trial by combat. The first record of a duel in English legal literature dates from 1077 when two blokes called Wolfston and Walter slugged it out. We don't know the victor, but I'm always going to bet on a guy called Wolfston. Unfortunately for fans of men's singles competitive murder, after the period known as the Anarchy, notorious spoilsport Henry II established the common law, and this led to a decline in the number of nobles hacking at each other over who had the biggest Mott and Bailey. Instead of dying out, however, as the high Middle Ages approached... Duels and honour driven biffo became the province of knights and the nobility. With a chivalric ethos ruling the day in the 14th and 15th centuries, the tournament ground became the venue of choice for, to settle scores. And while killing each other was strictly frowned upon, well, accidents happened. The golden age of the duel in Britain wouldn't arrive until the 16th century. A flood of books such as Libro de Cottaggiano, or The Book of the Courtier, and Il Duolo, or The Duel popularised the notion that one's honour had to be strenuously protected, and that the only way to do this was to meet any slight with a challenge to a duel. With murder being somewhat frowned upon, those who wanted to duel had to retire somewhere rather remote. Those in London would venture somewhere outside the city walls. Elsewhere, participants would ride to a remote field or patch of woodland. With pistols being prohibitively expensive at this time, the rapier, a long thin sword, was the weapon of choice. One unlikely duelist of this era was the poet and the playwright Ben Jonson. After putting up with the violent shenanigans of an actor called Gabriel Spencer for way, way too long, Johnson finally took him out to Shoreditch and ended up skewering him six inches, in, six inches into his side. That is to say, Spencer died. Johnson should have been charged for the murder, but as he was studying to become a priest at the time, he was able to plead benefit of the clergy and got away with a branded thumb. Throughout the 17th century, nobles would hack at each other over the most trivial of offences. In 1609, Sir George Wharton killed Sir James Stuart over a game of cards. In 1613, Lord Kinross topped the Earl of Dorset over a woman, Venetia Stanley, who ended up marrying another dude completely. The Stuart kings would all issue edicts against the practice of duelling. But it didn't stop folks like Sir Henry Hobart and Sir Oliver Neve going at each other. Hobart accused Leneve of spreading rumours during, during an election campaign and, as a consequence, Leneve left him dying in the woods near Causton, Norfolk on the 20th of August, 1698. There's still a lovely little memorial to Hobart there. In the 18th century, the arrival of more reliable, less expensive firearms and an expanded military class meant that duelling was no longer the province of the nobility. Any moderately well-off bloke with a gun could have a go, It became rather popular with politicians. The radical politician John Wilkes and Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger both fought separate duels during the 18th century. Dueling would become such a widespread practice that, in 1777, a group of Irish nobles came together to formulate the Irish Code of Honour, or Code duello. These are the rules by which all those duels that you see in TV shows and films were carried out. From Ireland, they soon became the gold standard for justifying murdering someone, across England, Europe, and America. The Irish Code of Honour is quite complex, running to 20-plus rules, and includes many opportunities for the feud to be settled. If shots were going to be fired, all avenues had to be exhausted. The two parties would meet somewhere at dawn, I guess to give them plenty of time for crime scene cleanup. If a first reconciliation was knocked back, a second person was required, usually a friend, firstly to attempt once more to broker a peace, then to load the pistols and make sure that everything was above board. A doctor was to be present, but was to face away from the combatants in order to give him deniability. After a final attempt at reconciliation, at a prearranged signal, perhaps the dropping of a handkerchief, the participants were to either turn and fire, or raise their pistols to fire. Nowhere in the code was there a mention of to the death, so it was up to the participants to judge when the duel was over. Of course... If one of the duelists ended up with a bullet to the chest, it was a pretty clear indicator to scram. As killing one's fellow man became more societally unacceptable at the turn of the 19th century, more and more duelists began to throw away their shot, either firing into the air or to the ground. This way, participants figured they could feel honour was satisfied without all the carnage. Duelling wouldn't die out in Britain until the 1850s. With the arrival of police forces, it became too damn risky. The noose awaited those who were caught. Funnily enough, however, the last duel in Britain allegedly took place in 1994. Classical lutinist Ben Salesfield says that he fought an unknown opponent, he won't name the opponent, with cavalry swords at near battle in Sussex over a girl. If reports are to be believed, both survived the experience with only minor wounds. As you've heard over the last little while, dueling has enjoyed a long and proud history in Britain, stretching back over at least a thousand years. As with most things around here, it seems like the men of Britain enjoy a formal, ritualised way of resolving arguments, in this case with bloody force. So next time someone looks at you funny on the tube or accuses you of parking too close to them, why not challenge them to settle the score at dawn? You'd only be carrying on a proud British tradition. And isn't that the most important thing? Until next time, I'm Mike Stutchbury, and you've been listening to Bad Britannia.